just a note before we get started. I don't know if you noticed this. I meant to talk about this at the beginning of the worship service, but uh, this graphic right here, I had our graphic designer make this graphic based on a mural that is on an Austin wall. So if you go down, I think it's the 6th Street or somewhere around there, you'll see this uh, kind of similar, you know, uh, copyrights and everything. So, But I think the lettering is red, but it's on a blue brick wall down in Austin, this exact same thing. And so that's what we're talking about, the good life in Austin, Texas. Liberty Hill up here, but you know what I'm saying. There's a story of a man named Jack. Jack was a 70-year-old man. Uh, he was extremely wealthy, but he was a widower. One day Jack showed up to the country club to meet his buddies, uh, and as he walked in, all of his buddies' jaws dropped as he had a 25-year-old, stunning, beautiful, drop-dead gorgeous brunette on his arm. She clung to his arm, hung on to every word he said, listened to him intently. They go and they sit down next to Jack's buddies, who are wide-eyed in amazement, and they start talking, having a conversation. After a little while, the, the woman said, uh, excuse me, I need to go to the restroom. And as soon as she was out of sight, all of Jack's buddies turned to Jack, and one of them asks what's on everybody's mind. Jack, how did you get this beautiful woman to be your girlfriend? And Jack says, girlfriend? She's my wife. We got married over the weekend. Jack's buddy's eyes widened as he said that. And one of them said, Married? How, how did you get her to marry you? I lied about my age, Jack said. They said, What? Well, did you tell her you were 50? Nope. I told her I was 90. <laughs> I think we'd all agree that that 25-year-old brunette's a little greedy, right? <laughs> Why is she with a man who is, what, 45 years older than her? Or what she, what she actually thought was 65 years older than her. Why? Because he's wealthy. As long as Jack was living, she could have whatever she wanted. She could buy whatever she wanted. And probably the really sad part in her mind is she's thinking, Jack's probably not going to live another 10 years. When he passes away, I'll get his money. I still have the rest of my life to do what I want, and then I will be wealthy. Today, we are continuing in our series called The Good Life. And as I mentioned at the beginning of the service, the good life is a generous life. That's what we looked at last week, how we looked at how uh, Jesus says it's more blessed to give than to receive. Uh, but what gets in the way of the generous life? Greed, right? On Tuesday nights in our Connect group, we're reading a book called Counterfeit Gods. And Timothy Keller, uh, who is the author, he said that the thing about greed is nobody thinks that they're greedy. There are people who will say, I'm an adulterer. There are people who will say, I'm an addict. There are people who will say, uh, you know, I steal from my work. But nobody ever will say, I struggle with greed. We see it in everybody else. That's no problem. But when it comes to us, we don't think we are greedy. And why is that? Well, I think it's because uh, when we think of greed, we think of loving money. And we just need more and more and more and more and more. 
But we're going to hear from Jesus today that that's not the only greed that there is. There's a different aspect to greed. And we're going to see that in Luke chapter 12. Jesus is going to tell us a story about a wealthy man. But before we look at the story, I want to set the context for you. Uh, Jesus is teaching. He's got a, a whole crowd around him, and he's teaching and he's preaching to the people. And like always, it's about important things. When all of a sudden, a man steps forward and interrupts him. Uh, It's almost mid-sentence. The man steps forward and says, Jesus, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance among us. And Jesus says, man, who made me judge or arbiter between you two? Go figure it out on your own. And then Jesus says this. Then he said to them, watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Notice, not just one kind of greed, but all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in abundance of possessions. And then he told them this parable. Remember, a parable is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. So Jesus tells a story. It contains earthly characters, earthly things that we know, but he's conveying a heavenly meaning. So here's a story. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, What shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. You can almost picture it. This guy, he cultivates this field. Uh, he, he gets the harvest and he's thinking, Huh, I can't store this stuff. What to do, what to do. Light bulb on. I got it. He said, This is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there, I will store my surplus grain. Let's stop there for a second. Is there anything wrong with that? No, right? That's a smart business move. God has blessed me with this abundance of a harvest. Uh, It would be bad management of the blessings that God has given me if I don't store it, if I waste it. That's bad management. God's blessed me with this. Of course I want to build more barns so I can store it and be a good manager of what God has blessed me with. Wealth isn't bad. Having money, being rich, isn't bad. It's not. There were a lot of wealthy people in the Bible, actually. So what's this man's problem? It comes right here. And I'll say to myself, in the Greek, I'll say to myself is uh, the word psikos. Soul. That's where we get our word psyche from. So I'll say to my psyche, I'll say to my soul, the very core of who I am that gets a little anxious when my bank account gets small, I'll say to that part of me, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. Relax, soul. Relax. Now we look at this man, and we may think to ourselves, well, this guy doesn't have God in his life, obviously. This guy isn't a Christian. But notice, uh, this never says if he's a believer or not. Is it possible he was? Do you think it's possible for a believer to recognize God's hand in all the blessings that we have, but then to elevate wealth to where we find our peace? to where we find uh, comfort for our anxious heart? 
Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's Jesus' point here. His point is, greed comes in all kinds. And what this man struggled with was not acknowledging God's hand in the abundance of life. This man struggled with finding his peace in his money and not in his God. And the scary thing about this is that it's not like we just wake up one morning and say to ourselves, hey, you know what, today I'm going to find peace in my money instead of peace in God. We don't wake up and think that. Instead, it's a slow process where we, continue, when we start to believe money's lies. Because money whispers promises into our ears. And so let's take a look at four promises that money whispers to us. And if you're following along in your worship folder, you can start filling in the blanks here. Promise number one. Money promises security. The man found security in his wealth, didn't he? He said to his soul, the very, his psyche, the very core of who he is, relax, rest, take it easy. If you're, if you're nervous, soul, look out back. Check out that barn full of stuff. If a catastrophe happens, you'll be fine for many, many years because you have plenty of things stored up. And that's where he found his security. It's no different today, right? We've said it before, times change, people don't. And, and that's true in this case too, right? Uh, how often don't we find security in our numbers that are in our bank account? I don't know if you've seen it, uh, but if you go down I-35 just south of Austin on your way back up, kind of by UT's campus, there at least there used to be a big billboard that said, uh, have a good relationship with your bank account. What does that mean? Love it. Feed it. Put money into it. Because then you have security. And if you don't think you struggle with this, uh, next time that something happens when uh, something comes up and you have an emergency expense and there's not enough money in your emergency fund and you have to dip into other savings, notice what happens to your heart starts to flutter a little bit, get a little fast. Maybe you lay up at night thinking, how are we going to make this up? How much overtime do I have to work to, to get this back? That's finding security in our bank account. That's believing the promise of money. And Jesus would say, that's greed. Promise number two money makes to us. Money promises freedom. We heard that from the man, didn't we? What's he say? Eat, drink, be merry. Freedom, baby. I can do whatever I want because I have an abundance of wealth. This man could go on the best vacations. He could eat at the best marketplaces. He could have the newest technology so that his harvest could be bigger and bigger every year. He had the freedom to do all that. Freedom. Money promises it. But do you think he was free to be content? Do you think he was free from wanting? Money promises freedom, but every time the newest and latest thing comes out, what happens? We want it. we got to have it. I'm free, but I'm not free to be content. 
Third thing money promises. Money promises power. Money promises power. Uh, Do you think this man had some power in town? Hey, you want some of my grain? You're going to have to give me a deal on this. Do you think when he got in a jam, he could just throw some money at the person's way and, and make it all disappear? He could bribe whomever he wanted. He's a wealthy man. He could do what he wanted. He's got power. We see it in today's world, don't we? We see it in politics especially. Every politician has money. And what happens when they get in a jam? They throw some money at it and the problem disappears. Just like that. Because money promises power. Finally, money promises significance. Money promises significance. When you are wealthy, money says, hey, we can make a pretty big impact here. We could go down in the record books if I just do this. And I'm sure that's what that man felt. Being uh, the time period, generally speaking, these towns were smaller. Unless you're in Jerusalem or, or a bigger city like that. This man... He could have been the backbone of his community. Everyone could have looked to him for grain and good things because he had it. And that makes you feel significant. And money promises that. Money promises that. But notice how Jesus ends this story. Here's what he says. God said to him, to the man, You fool! This very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich toward God. In other words, Jesus says, Hey, rich man, God's going to call you to account. And then who's going to get your stuff? Because guess what? You can't take it with you. You can't take it with you when you go. Then what? And it's true, right? When we stand before God, does money secure us a spot in heaven? Absolutely not. God's going to say, big deal, I have the wealth of the world. I don't need your money. Does does wealth promise you freedom to enter heaven? Absolutely not. Does it promise you power to get into heaven? No, because God doesn't take bribes. You can't bribe God and say, hey, just overlook my sins. He doesn't care about that. Does it promise you significance? God's going to say, who cares how much money you have? Who cares? Money can't do anything beyond this life. Sure, we could have all these things in this life, but once we die and we face our Maker, it's not going to matter. And so let's make a deal today. All of us here. Let's stop looking to money to provide only what God can provide for us. Only God can deliver these four things. And so if you're following along in your worship folder, you can probably already guess what those those last four blanks are. Because God, money promises them, but God actually delivers all four of these things. And so let's take a look at each one. God delivers security. The night before Jesus died, He's talking to his disciples and here's what he says. Uh, Imagine his disciples for a second. Jesus has already told them, hey, I'm going to die very shortly. Their leader, 
Gone. Mentor, gone. And here's what Jesus says. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Jesus says, I give you a peace. I give you a security that your wealth can't give. Why? Because Jesus, who was rich, for our sakes He became poor. Gave up all the riches of heaven to come and live like us here on earth. Where? He was poor. And then, He went to the cross. Died penniless so that you and I might have the riches of heaven. So we have the riches of forgiveness of sins. All of our sins completely forgiven. We have the forgive, or, uh, riches of eternal life and peace with God. That's what Jesus did for us. And we have a peace knowing that because our relationship with our Father in heaven is good, we have the peace of knowing that no matter what catastrophe happens, no matter what unexpected payment happens in the future, I have a Father in heaven who is providing for each and every one of my needs. He's providing for everything for me. That's where my security comes from. It's from a God who says, I love you and I'm going to take care of you. God delivers freedom. Galatians, Paul says, It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Paul is talking about the slavery to the law that says you need to do this in order to have a good relationship with God. Paul says, no. Don't be burdened by having to do something to earn God's favor. You are free from it because of Christ. You are free from having to earn His love. You are free from having to gain heaven on your own. You are free from guilt. And you are free to be content as we realize that God has given us all of the riches of heaven. He's given us His kingdom. Heaven and earth alike. Man. God delivers. Power. Paul says in 2 Timothy, For the Spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. You are not a wimp. You are not. The Holy Spirit lives in you. And because He does, you have power. You have the power to say no to sin. Think about this. You have the power to push back the gates of hell. You want to talk about power. God's Word connected with the water just pulled Henry out of the gates of hell into God's family. That is power. Not from me, not from you, but from God's Word that we get to use to push back the gates of hell. That is incredible. You want to see power? Go and tell someone about Jesus and see how their life changes around. does a complete 180. That is power that you have at your lips because the Spirit of God is with you, living in you. And when we preach God's Word, that is power. Satan's lost. And you have the power because you are on God's side to push Him back. 
God delivers significance. We are told, He saved us in Titus here. Paul says, He saved us not because of righteous things we had done, not because of good things we've done, but because of His mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal, baptism, by the Holy Spirit whom He poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that, having been justified by His grace, having been declared not guilty by His undeserved love, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. Lori's in the back over there, but I'm going to address her right now. Lori, Henry might grow up and become a millionaire. Henry might come up and he might discover the, the cure to cancer, invent something that this world uh, can't live without. And he might go down in the record books. But big deal. Big deal. That's not what makes Henry significant. What makes Henry significant is the fact that God says, I love you, Henry, and I sent my son to die for you. And about 30 minutes ago, We saw how significant Henry is to God that he adopted him into his family. He adopted him. He wrote his name where? In his will. And now he is an heir of God, ready to inherit everything that God has. And the same is true for each and every one of you. The same is true for each and every one of you. God said, I love you. I love you so much, I sent Jesus to die for you, to save you. And in your baptism, whether it be years ago, or two weeks ago, or 30 minutes ago, God wrote you in His will. He adopted you into His family, and God said, your name is written here, in my will. You will inherit everything that I have. You have forgiveness, eternal life, and salvation because of God. Why in the world would we ever look to money to do what God can, only God can do? Power, significance, security, freedom, it comes from God. And so how do we respond? Grace comes to us, God's undeserved love, touches our hearts, and it prompts a response. And here it is. I will give my first and my best to God, trusting that He will bless the rest. You want a Bible verse for it? Here we go. Proverbs 3, also written by Solomon, Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing, and your vats will brim over with new wine. With the first fruits of all of your crops. We often say first fruits, but we really don't describe it, do we? We don't say what first fruits really are. First fruits is, I receive something, and I'm going to give God my first and my best. So, I receive my paycheck. My first, is the very fr- my first fruit is, I write the first check to God. And God will bless everything else after that. Then I pay my bills, then everything else. I receive time. I have an abundance of time all of a sudden. I give my first fruits of my time to God. And God will bless the rest. And stop and think about that for a second. Think of the context of this all. Has God ever given you leftovers? 
Has God said, I'll take care of everything else and, and I'll give you whatever I have left over in my, my time, my forgiveness? No. He's given you the first fruits of everything that He has. He's given His one and only Son for you to save you. That's incredible. And now God says, give me your first fruits. Why? Because as we do, it will guard our hearts against greed. As we give our first fruits to God, we're going to see how God takes care of us and will bless us throughout the rest. And also, what do we have? Power, significance, security, freedom. We have experienced something that people out there don't know. They don't have. They live every day with anxiety. They live every day with fear. They live every day not knowing what's going to happen in the future. And you have the peace that they need. And when you give your first fruits, you support ministry so that we can go out and preach to them. So that we can tell them this good news. So that they can go to bed at night, not anxious, not worried, but knowing that they are at peace with God. Never again feeling guilty. Praise God, from whom all blessings flow. May God be with you this week as He guards your heart against all kinds of greed and that you may enjoy the good life, which is the generous life. Amen. Part of the privilege that we 